Unfortunately, we have another Kai Jones update to get to. Then we can live in nostalgia and talk about Baron Davis as well as Steve Francis. How does he make his way in the show? We'll discuss it next on Locked On Hornets. You're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts, and that does include YouTube. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case. That sounds cool. Providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E, Jace Medical. Dot com. That's Doug Branson. You can find him on his Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com. You can also find him on his Twitter handle, Doug Branson, L-O-H. And you can follow us, by the way, on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Listen to me on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ every weekday from 12 to 3 p.m. Because we wanted to go back so badly and talk about this Kai Jones situation, we thought we'd lead off the next show with it. The problem is that we have content. <laughs> to get to with Kai Jones. Yes, there is actually an update. There's not just the weird Twitter stuff that's going on, whether there was a video or whether there's just all the emojis that he's tweeting out. That would be, you know, especially with the emojis and the active Twitter, that's fine. This is where it gets a little problematic here, Doug. So there are screenshots circulating of some Instagram interactions that he's had with fans that are being mean to him on social media. So there's one person that tweets or post a message to him on Instagram and it says, Nick Richards is greater than sign than you three greater than signs three emphasizes it. Kai Jones replies. I'm more assertive with the ball than him. I can read myself. I can read myself. Did he miss a comma in there? We saw Pat Mahomes miss a comma. That was a whole thing when he was talking about Aaron Rodgers injury. So who knows, but Nick Richards is greater than you. He responds, I'm more assertive with the ball than him. I can read myself. Another person writes to Nick, uh, writes to Kai Jones, Mm -hmm. Mark Williams getting your bum bleep off the roster. Somebody else. And then Kai Jones wrote back to him. Show me a video of Mark pulling up, going left and hitting it anywhere, man in college somewhere. Show one again. Show me a video of Mark pulling up, going left and hitting (laughs) it anywhere, man in college somewhere show one look the other kai jones that stuff that we talked about don't know how what whatever range you were on right wherever you were on the scale however problematic it was a lot of that was to his doing that was problematic to him specifically and if anybody did worry about him it was because of him and we can still be worried about him but now you're going after teammates on social media when people come at you on social media and there are a lot of people might know this, Doug, I might know this. There are people that will come at you on social media and say some not nice things, (laughs) but now he's throwing some shade towards his teammates and teammates that play the same position, whatever. What do you make those comments from Kai Jones on Instagram? So I don't, I don't think these two social media incidents are all that disconnected. Uh, the the erratic, uh, odd behavior that he displayed totally on the Instagram lives, and and this going back and forth with people. Because one of the things that I noted on on my subtext when I had like my initial thoughts on. 
Kai Jones, uh, those Instagram live videos that are, I think now deleted. I don't think they're, they're, uh, you know, actually up to view anymore, but in those, he was doing a similar thing, responding to people who were jumping on those lives just to hate, just to be negative. And he was responding directly to those people. And I said in my initial thoughts, and I think I may have said this yesterday as well, that's what worries me the most when you let that kind of toxic sludge into your life and you feel it's necessary to respond to it publicly and not just ignore it. I think that is a signal of something that might be damaging to, to Kai Jones personally. And then it leads to maybe what we've saw in these uh, posts that you just mentioned there going after other players. Now, you know, What's interesting is that if he had done this, if he had commented on a veteran player that didn't grow up in all this social media, I think that would really be a problem. And, and a veteran player that had like credentials, if he was Dylan Brooks going after LeBron James or something, that would be an extreme problem. I wonder, I just wonder if, you know, because you saw Mark Williams post the, he posted like a 50 cent meme or something. He posted a response, a 50 cent meme there, yeah. So like, with these younger players that have all grown up into social media, it's been a part of their lives before they became basketball stars. You know, how much of this is, uh, what would they say in wrestling? Like kayfabe, how much of this is real? How much, how much is Mark Williams legitimately going, you know, WTF, what are you, what are you doing? What are you, what are you talking about me for? Nick Richards, like get your name out of my mouth or something like that. How much are they doing that? Or how much of this is like, ha ha ha. We're all, making fun of each other. I don't know. I, I would lean towards it's probably not a great thing for any of your players to be criticizing any of your other players right. publicly. But I just wonder that with, you know, all of these guys growing up in social media and, and ribbing each other in and out of the locker room. If, if it was normal behavior for everybody else in the <laughs> league, then maybe I could subscribe to that latter part of your theory, but I uh, that's just not can't. my theory. Well, be, to be clear, that's not my theory. I'm just I'm just throwing things out there. This is bumming me out. Okay, I don't know if this is bumming you out, Walker. This is this whole conversation. These whole all of these things are bumming me out because I was excited when they drafted Kai Jones. I've been excited about his potential. His play on the court has bummed me out a little bit over the past couple of seasons because I've been like, I don't know if this guy's going to figure it out on the court. And now you've got all this off the court stuff and it, it's looking less and less like his future in Charlotte is going to really turn itself around and it's bumming me out. So that's not my theory. I'm just throwing out things in the hope that all of this can spin into something positive, but I have, oh, you yeah. know, that's all sick. That's all sicko hope. Okay. Yeah, I think I think to see Kai Jones now, like what let's ask what the team is going to be more tolerant of. Probably not a lot of this. You know that the team is on this considering it's been going on for the last couple of weeks, the type of behavior he's exhibited on social media, whether you deem that harmful or not, the team is absolutely aware of it. So when the team is aware of it, what are they going to be more tolerant of? Are they going to be more tolerant with the fact that Kai Jones is doing this and he's not calling out teammates and they just need to figure out what his problem is. Okay. But now he's going after other guys. Now he's going after a Mark Williams and a Nick Richards in ways that you don't see a lot of other players do even in the social media age, which honestly, you know, even with a Dennis Smith jr. Who commented on that video back when we talked about the Kai Jones thing the first time, here we are discussing how Dennis Smith Jr. is a veteran and a leader, and he 110% was. But 
guess what? Dennis Smith Jr. grew up in the social media age. It's not like he's a veteran that is sitting there saying, well, well, back in my day, we didn't have Twitter. No, nah, they did have Twitter back in your day. Yeah. Like, even Gordon Hayward, like Gordon Hayward. Yeah. A little bit older, but he knows what social media is and has for a long time since like what? I mean, Facebook transitioning into his second, third year of, of promoting it. He uses it to promote his chess. He uses it to promote his chess prowess. Yes. Or a hundred percent. Like, so you don't, you don't see this. You just don't see this. And for good reason, but why, why, why is it okay for your teammates to call, call them out and seemingly not so good natured seemingly, we don't know, but yeah. that's what it looks like. And I'm holding on, I'm holding on to the slim hope. I'm just holding on to the slim hope that this is all just, you know, that there's all some good explanation for all of this, but it doesn't look good, Walker. I mean, I will admit that. And you mentioned DSJ commenting on on the Instagram lives, and DSJ was a player th- that they didn't make a priority in the offseason. This, this team continues to not prioritize veteran leadership in the locker room, and they just cross their fingers and hope that some of their young players will just suddenly mature and suddenly become those locker room leaders. But it doesn't work like that, especially when you miss the playoffs year after year after year. It doesn't work like that. The playoffs season veterans. I mean, that's what makes grizzled veterans grizzled veterans is that they go through these trials and tribulations together as a team. And the Hornets haven't been good enough to, to find a trial, to find a tribulation to deal with. And so when you find a player like that and then you let him go immediately, uh, that does represent toughness, that does represent focusing on the right things, that does represent veteran leadership, and you let that guy go to Brooklyn for nothing, then you know that I think that's a problem. The, the, other, the, the final thing that I would say on this is that this is actually important for Kai Jones and the Charlotte Hornets because he is the third string center. You're one ankle tweak. You are one back strain. You're one minor injury away from needing Kai Jones to play minutes. He had to play minutes last season, serious minutes, you know, games that mattered. He had to play them because this Hornets center rotation has never been that deep. And so this was an important offseason for Kai Jones. And so far, it looks like whatever, if there are personal problems, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but whatever's happening is not positive for Kai Jones. And by virtue of that, not positive for the Charlotte Hornets. So, and and I'll end on this as well. Let, let's start with whatever's going on with Kai Jones. I hope everything works out the best for Kai, whatever that is. Yes. I hope whatever it is, it's the best example of allowing Kai to be successful in the league. Here's the reality with the Charlotte Hornets, just like you said, he's the third string center and that he's a twisted ankle away. That's a glass half full approach, I guess, as far as it's concerned to Kai to allow him to get on the court. Well, if you take the glass half empty, we can phrase it as Kai Jones is the third string center and the Charlotte Hornets are probably not going to put up with a lot of this stuff from the third string center and What's interesting is that are they going to put up with it or are they not going to put up with it so much that he's not on the roster in a month that you don't find a trade partner? It, wh- how Maybe you find a trade partner that's willing to take on Kai, whatever, but there's a real possibility that he just gets cut. Like, I think there's a shot here because Kai hasn't shown enough. In fact, that brings up an interesting, you know, what if James Najee situation, if this is happening when you're trying to figure out what happens with Najee or whatever, that would have been interesting. But now you're probably you're already set like he's going to stay in Barcelona 
and now you don't have him as the third string center, but they got somebody already, Doug. And if you want somebody to just play defense in a sound way, Najee's got you there. I, you know, Kai's not helping a ton offensively. So unfortunately for him, the guy's crazy gifted. Hopefully he figures it out and there's a pathway for him to be successful as much as possible. Get Najee on a plane. I mean, how much does a a ticket from Barcelona to Charlotte cost? I mean, come on, direct flight. Let's go. Yeah, I'm sure Mitch Kupchak and the Charlotte Hornets can cover it. All right, let's move on. Coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Here we are talking about the current. Let's talk about the past. Ooh, Baron Davis. He's showing it's much up better. once again. It's much, it's much better to talk about the past. Am I right, folks? Yeah, much better, especially when it in, when it involves Baron Davis. We'll get to that in just a moment, but not before we bring up Jace Medical. This episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use and gives you a peace of mind so that you are not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Jace Medical makes sure you have the medication in hand. Jace Medical is simple. They handle everything from the online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication, delivery, and ongoing consultation and care. Don't get caught unprepared. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical Plus an additional $20 off by using code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J A S E, jacemedical.com, promo code locked on. Baron Davis conversation coming up next. All right, Doug. So we had a Baron Davis interview. I believe Michael Scotto is the one that conducted the interview, if I'm not mistaken. Good That's old great. Michael Hoops Scotto. Hype. And uh, there was some interesting stuff in there. He really opened up. Baron, of course, was somebody that we saw in the promotional video promoting the double pinstripes in the early aughts era of the Charlotte Hornets. He and LaMelo were just shooting. I think they might have been playing horse in that video where they were promoting those jerseys. So very cool to see one of our favorite point guards from the past and absolutely our favorite point guard of the present. What was something that stood out to you in this interview Michael Scott and Baron Davis had? Because there's actually a lot to get to. There is. There's a, a great quote uh, because he did spend some time with LaMelo Ball. He gave his thoughts on LaMelo Ball. I want to save that for tomorrow. I want to give that its due. I want to I want to showcase that. So we'll get to those comments tomorrow. What's more interesting as we bathe in the nostalgia of the 35th anniversary that we are celebrating five years after the after we all celebrated the 30th anniversary, we are bathing in nostalgia here because it's nicer. It is a nicer, that is a hot tub compared to the cold shower that is some of the current conversation around the, the Charlotte Hornets. This so let's get in the hot like a tub. shower of lava. Yes, it, it burns <laughs> our skin to talk about it. Let's get into the hot tub time machine with Baron Davis, who, who gives us a great draft night story. So we're going all the way back to 1999, and we're going to party like it's 1999. And here's Baron Davis on that draft night. Quote, I thought I was going to go number two. I believe the trades happening at number two weren't going down. I was all up in my agent's office all the way until the draft. So I kind of knew where everyone was going in the draft. Paul Silas, rest in peace. I remember eavesdropping on a call with Arn Tellum and Paul was like, well, bleep it. He can go overseas. I'm still going to draft him. And I was like, I'm not going to be in Charlotte. And he was like, that's fine. I'm still drafting your bleep. You don't have to come if you don't want to, but I'm drafting you. If you're at number three, I'm taking you. That was one of the best moves of my life to be coached by Silas and have another father figure and role model. I never saw what that looked like as a father and a coach at that level. It was a blessing to go to the Hornets and to live in Charlotte 
unquote. Paul Silas, the GOAT. Yeah, very cool. I mean, this is why we love Paul Silas. There are endless stories. We hear something about him constantly, even on the All the Smoke podcast. And Steven Jackson will provide some Bobcats era stories. So that's also very cool. Here we get with Baron Davis. We get to see him share some of this. And Baron is involved in the media a decent amount. Like we get to see him on Dan Lebitard's show. He's not, you know, hidden somewhere in a corner where nobody sees him. And we wonder, hey, what exactly did happen to Baron? But we don't get a lot of this. And if they do talk to Baron, if people do talk to Baron Davis, then he doesn't share a ton of stories from the Charlotte era. It's a lot about the We Believe team, the eight-seeded Golden State Warriors beating the number one seed in the Dirk Nowitzki-led Dallas Mavericks. So you might see some of those stories from Barron as he got a little bit later in his career. Very cool to see this. And it goes to show just how awesome Paul Silas was, somebody that did not put up with any nonsense, including if you were trying to dictate where you were wiggle going to Wiggle your go on way out. Night. That's right. He was trying to wiggle his way out of Charlotte. And, and that was during the years when Charlotte was like a legitimate franchise. You could sort of understand players – trying to navigate their way out, which was a cool thing to see, by the way, that Charlotte got the number two overall pick in this past draft. And thankfully, you didn't see a lot of that. You didn't see players, at least we didn't hear about, you know, players trying to wiggle their way out of the number two overall selection. It seemed like everyone was vying uh, to get to that place. Uh, but Barron didn't want to go to Charlotte. And, and you know, Paul Silas did the right thing. And, stood, and I wish more teams would do that in this situation couple of things interesting about that. Had he not stood up and said, no, we're going to draft your bleep, here are the players that would have been in contention to go number three overall. Number four overall was Lamar Odom. Number five overall was Jonathan Bender. Number six overall was Wally Zerbiak, fine player, but certainly not, you know, all-star caliber Baron Davis, although I think right. Wally did get one all-star. He, I think got he got one. like one. Yeah, he got one strange all-star appearance. Rip Hamilton was seven, Andre Miller eight, Sean Marion the prize at, at number nine but I don't think he would have been in contention to jump all the way up to three. So a lot of what ifs there. <laughs> Bobcats legend Corey Maggette went 13th overall, by the way, in that draft. But Baron Davis, third overall pick, that was the right move. And, and Paul Silas stood up and said, you know, we're going to take that guy. So, well, th there's one very wrong answer. But if you look at the top 10, top 10, very good. Like, here we are talking about Wally Zerbiak, a one-time All-Star, and somewhat deserving of this selection. Rip Hamilton should have gone above Wally for sure. But Rip Hamilton, Andre Miller, Sean Marion, Jason Terry was number 10. So more than likely, the Hornets would have been okay. But still, Baron Davis is the pick mm -hmm. there, even if you go a redraft. Now, if you would have gone with Jonathan Bender, that's the one miss. And I know all too well about Jonathan Bender because the Indiana Pacers fell in love with him and they mm -hmm. traded up to go get him after the Toronto Raptors drafted him freak athlete just an amazing high school basketball player even then like 99 pretty early for a high school basketball player to be drafted you know Kevin Garnett of course it, it's not like it was unprecedented but it was still pretty damn early and they loved Bender and just never figured it out that was a veteran team with the Pacers you would go to the finals with Indiana that next year that was the wrong selection Baron Davis was the right one but if you miss out on him and don't draft Bender then there are a lot of fun what ifs like Lamar Odom, really good player. Love Lamar Odom ahead of his time. Wally, Rip Hamilton, a champion. Andre Miller played in the league for a gazillion years. Sean Marion, might Hall of Famer, close to it, if you will. So, yeah, man, like very interesting draft when you go back and examine it. And here's another thing that's interesting. The Hornets have a lottery pick 
in the 90s and you have a head coach that stands up and says, I don't care if you don't want to be here. I don't care if, if you know, we, we should tr- maybe trade this pick. We're going to make this pick. We're going to pick you. And if you don't want to play here, fine. Because there's another draft in the 90s where the Hornets had a lottery pick and there were some whispers. It depends on who you believe. If you believe some folks who thought Kobe Bryant didn't want to play in Charlotte or if you believe Kobe that says that Dave Cowens, the head coach at the time, told him that they didn't need him. You know, whoever you want to believe, that situation fell apart and the Hornets ultimately traded Kobe Bryant to the Los Angeles Lakers and and, and brought back the, the package that they brought back. But you have... Paul Silas in this situation doing a little bit of the opposite and he wasn't he wasn't assistant coach for Cowens that year after the Kobe draft but he did join the team a year later and he he was friends with Dave Cowens so you wonder you know if Paul Silas looked at Kobe's ascension because I looked this up this is amazing Kobe rookie season the stats really weren't there seven points per game almost eight points per game That's really it. He played in 71 games for the Lakers in the rookie season, only started six games, and yet he was an all-star selection in his second season in 97-98. That's crazy to me. I mean, he had a decent season, but your your all-star selection is based on really your previous season. I mean, that just shows you like where the popularity for Kobe Bryant was. The stats weren't there, Walker, but I'm sure the flashes were. I'm sure Paul Silas looked back at that draft, that Kobe draft, and went, yeah, the Hornets probably should have just held their ground and made the pick. And you wonder if that influenced Paul Silas to say, no, Baron, I don't care. If you want to go play overseas, if you want to sit, I don't care. We're drafting you. Well, yeah, and and also you have the whole, you know, the Lakers always wanted Kobe. Charlotte might not have wanted Kobe badly enough, and they were willing to get Maybe. some veterans on that squad. They were ready to compete. Because remember, they would go on to have their two best seasons in franchise history those two years that they played yeah. without Kobe. Like, they were – ready to win now. And I think the Lakers, they just wanted Kobe, Charlotte and them. They agreed, all right, we're, we're going to draft them for you. And then you give us what you have over there to help us win right now. So that's what happened there. Um, and yeah, and and w- with uh, with Baron Davis coming over, you know, still so much fun to see how, how he was going to be able to be the athletic point guard that we all fell in love with. And you don't see that a lot now and you're, you're right. Like, I don't know if it happens behind closed doors where players are trying to navigate where they go, but we haven't seen that play out in the public eye. And yeah, Paul Silas said, yeah, it doesn't matter. He put a he put a squash on that immediately. Like, nope, it doesn't, it, it wasn't even a story for, you know, except for this, right. Except for him revealing this to Michael Scotto all these years later, but it might've been a story for five minutes. And then Paul Silas said, well, too bad when we're going to play this thing out. Well, and the Hornets were a little bit in the catbird seat because they lucked into that pick and they, you know, they had a squad. I mean, that squad with Barron would go on to win 49 games and they had an all NBA player and Eddie Jones on that team. And Barron didn't start a single game his rookie season because they had David Wesley veteran and they had Eddie Jones who was doing a lot of ball handling and and a lot of the offensive uh, workload as well. And so he played all 82 games in that season. Baron Davis played all 82 games in every single season that he was a member of the Charlotte Hornets. That's nuts, number one. It number is. two, he wasn't a big factor on that team. And so I think that's, you know, Paul Silas was in a position of strength and he utilized it. And that's what made Paul Silas Paul Silas. Whether it was a locker room and and <laughs> and Tyrus Thomas, uh, whenever, you know, he was in a position of strength, Paul Silas liked to use it. And But one wonders... You know, what would have happened 
if Baron Davis would have been able to maybe make some maneuvers to get to number two because sitting at number two, Walker, was Steve Franchise. All right, let's talk about it. Coming up in the next segment on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. You thought we were done talking about 2000s, early 2000s point guards. No, we were not. We are still going to continue that conversation in the next segment, but not before we talk about FanDuel. This episode's brought to you by FanDuel, and you can get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props and even more than that. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get, uh, and then you can kick off the NFL season with an offer you will not want to miss. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. One more segment to go. Lockdown Hornets. Okay, so before we get to this what if, because I, I still want to get into the hot tub time machine. I, st- I just want to stay there. Like, you can't pull me out. I know medically it's not safe to stay in a hot tub for this long. I'm feeling yeah, a little bad. woozy. I'm feeling dizzy. Uh, but I, I want to stay in it just a little bit longer to talk about this what if that Baron Davis provides us with uh, Steve Francis possibly going to Charlotte in 1999. But before we do that, I just thought about this with the Kai Jones stuff that we talked about in the first segment, with everything that the Hornets and fans have gone through with James Booknight. I I mean, can that draft class get any worse? Like what I, I can't, is this while we're talking about this 1999 draft, I don't know how it could get any worse. I don't know that I can think of a worse draft class at this point. And that has to sit with Mitch Kupchak in this current front office. It does. Yeah, it, it definitely does. This is out of left field. You're right. We are going back to this Kai Jones. I know, I'm, I'm bothered but, by it. I'm bummed out. I'm telling you, I'm trying to fight these feelings. I've got, I've, I've got negative feelings. I've got positive feelings on this hot tub time machine. I'm conflicted, man. So was there any second round pick saving grace for Mitch Kupchak that he's had like in years past? I'm looking it up trying to remember because I know we had the uh, what was it? Scotty Lewis pick that Charlotte had, um, but he's not somebody that ever worked out because of the injury, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I guess they they moved up to have a couple picks in the first round. Yeah, Scotty Lewis. That's it. And it's got that. So. Right. Not even the second round saving grace that Mitch Kupchak has had yeah. in previous drafts, like a Devante, like a Jalen McDaniels that you just keep turning into different assets, even if they don't stay on your team. Cody Martin with the second contract. Yeah, that one's the bad one. That one, that's the one that Mitch Kupchak missed out on you know, pretty much all the way through, at least as it stands right now. I'm really glad that I took that. I think I don't know how long I took off from the show, maybe a year, maybe two years, but I'm glad that that was one of the years that draft I was <laughs> I was working the uh, Locked on NBA's NBA draft coverage at the time. I think I did do a hit like from the airport, from like the Dallas airport. I think you I did. did do a yeah, hit on the show. Yeah, we talked about it. So don't drag that tape out because I may have had some positive things to say about the tape. But if I had been you given more time. No, I remember your takes, Doug. You, we, I, you were a bigger fan. Now the tape, it's, it, you know, I think you were a big Jalen Johnson fan, which that hasn't worked out either. You know, well, I like Jalen Johnson too. But um, <laughs> no, it's not like you were in love with the draft of James Booknight and Kai. You, were, you weren't killing it, but you weren't in love with it. Good, good. Um, well, anyway, okay, fine. If I was right, then go ahead and drag the tape out and show That's it. Right. Um, but That's I think if you give me long enough, I probably would. Because <laughs> I 
fall in love with guys. You know, that's what I do around draft time. I give out roses. I probably yeah. would have fallen in love with James Booknight at some point. So I'm really glad that I wasn't around at that time because I probably would have been big wrong on that draft. To be fair, I fell in love with Zaire Williams. And while it looked decent the first year, it's not looking good right now. Love me some Zaire because I was a tough draft. That was a tough, deep. It was not a deep draft. Uh, You know, you get past five or really six. You get past six, giddy. Mm -hmm. Wagner's been good at eight. Uh, But yeah, that's a tough draft. Yeah, not like 99. 99 was a deep draft. If you look at that top 10, it's hard to miss unless you go with Jonathan Bender like the Pacers did. But the Hornets did not miss by sticking with Baron Davis. And neither did Vancouver slash Houston, who eventually ended up with Steve Francis. Steve Franchise coming out of Maryland. How does he relate to this conversation here, Doug? Oh, man, poor Vancouver. No one wanted to be a Grizzly. No one wanted to be a Vancouver Grizzly. Uh, But in this same interview... Baron muses on a Steve Francis what if because he says Steve Francis didn't want to go to Vancouver either and was trying to wiggle his way out of the number two pick and ultimately did got a trade to Houston but he says uh, Steve Francis wasn't going to Vancouver me and Steve were talking every day and I was like why don't you just say you want to go to Charlotte so what do you think about that Walker what if Baron goes to maybe Baron goes to Houston or whatever who makes that trade and Steve Francis lands in Charlotte. Do you think that would have changed things in 1999-2000? Um, I mean, it, the thing is, when Baron Davis is drafted, it's not like he stays a long time here because the team moves to New Orleans. So I mm-hmm. guess long-term ramifications, I don't know how much that changes at all. Steve mm-hmm. was a really good player, and he was a good player right off the bat. Got to the foul line a lot. Like, we all know Steve. Is, you know, the problem with him is that His career was so short because of injuries that he would suffer a little bit later on, but also was kind of viewed as this player that wasn't winning a whole lot of ball games, but the fun, exciting point guard that would just dunk on you and be in the dunk contest like Baron was, to be honest. I don't know how different it would have been. I I think Baron's personality, maybe the way that he was able to play with teammates and team chemistry probably benefited from Baron being on this team. But Steve Francis could have had that same thing. I, I just... I look at this trade, Doug. So Vancouver selects Steve Francis, number two overall, and then they trade him immediately to the Houston Rockets as part of a three-team trade with Tony Massenburg, which Hornets fans might know. And then you look at all the other players that would be drafted because of all of the picks that exchanged hands. I'm just going to throw out all of the players involved in this draft. Tony Massenburg, Antoine Carr, Michael Dickerson, Othella Harrington, Brent Price, Marcus Banks, Don McLean, not the singer, Matt Barnes, Lee Mayberry, Mokhtar Njai, Roderick Rhodes, Michael Smith. That's the list. Goodness gracious, that is a lot of mediocrity exchanging hands. When Matt Barnes is the next best player in that exchange outside of Steve Francis, that's how you know that is a trade of nothingness that Houston eventually won because then they helped turn that into Tracy McGrady, who comes over wow. and plays with Yao Ming um, with the Houston Rockets. Uh, Steve Francis, I think, would have been interesting on that 1999 team because I think that Steve Francis would have had the potential to outduel David Wesley for the point guard spot. And then you're injecting even more offense into a team that was really fun to watch with Eddie Jones. Does Eddie Jones get the All NBA uh, because he, you know, doesn't he? He might not be the the sole 
I mean, he was like a 20-point-per-game scorer, and he took a lot of shots for that team. So might have denied Eddie Jones an all-NBA bid, or it might have supercharged both players. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, Steve Francis got a bigger role in his rookie season. Ultimately, I think if you look at just the first five years, because that's I – mean, he may have sp- – uh, Steve may have been there longer in Houston, but, you know, Baron Davis' time in Charlotte slash New Orleans was about five years. If you look at five-year comparisons – Baron Davis ends up being the better, more consistent three-point shooter uh, and certainly the better playmaker. Uh, and, and maybe just overall score, Steve Francis might might get the nod a little bit. Uh, but Baron Davis, over the long term, I think it was the better move for Charlotte to take Baron yeah. Davis. But I think when you just look at that 99-2000 season, I mean, they won without Baron because Baron was a, a, a decent player off the bench. But was not a real factor on that team. Without him, they won 49 games. So if right. if, if Steve Francis gives you his rookie year numbers, and, and maybe even better with because he he was going to play on a better team, you know what, what could have happened? Who knows? Yeah, and, and had injuries too in, in that 2002 season. You're talking about him starting the all-star game, but only playing 55 games with a foot injury, had some bad migraines that he also experienced, and then yeah. would fizzle out a little bit. He, Steve Francis is one of the classics. Hey, do you remember Steve Francis being a stud back in the day, but then eventually you know, starts to drift off into this oblivion where we don't talk about him nearly as much. So, um, But very good. As soon as he stepped into the league, it just didn't last very long. Right. And so I think the what if you really have to confine to 1999-2000. Could they have won the 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 uh, vaunted 50 games again? Uh could that could they have made a little bit more noise in that 99-2000 playoffs? Um that that would have been fun. But I don't think long term I agree with you. It doesn't change anything because in 1999, in fact, uh maybe less than 30 days after that draft, mm-hmm. we have the moment that the Hornets left for New Orleans. It happened in 1999. Didn't happen in, uh, you know, it officially happened in 2002. But it really happened in 1999 because that's when, at the end of July, the the talks between Michael Jordan and George Shen broke down and George Shen sold a minority stake of the Charlotte Hornets to Ray Wooldridge who from the moment that he stepped in to the Charlotte Coliseum had one foot out of it and was making relationships and making, uh, you know, talking to Louisville and talking to Memphis, but really wanted to get this team to New Orleans. Yeah. And that was the moment that Charlotte lost that team. Um, so that happened, and Steve Francis wasn't going to change that. Yeah, no, he was not. Nobody was, I don't think. Not uh, not at that time. All right, that'll do it for Lockdown Hornets. Thanks for making us your first listen. Make your second listen, game-to-game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result uh, with the season being, I think, one month away from preseason for the Charlotte Hornets. Yesterday, Mark. No more bad won- news. Everyone, I just wish <laughs> well, that, that somebody needs to just news. go and DM everyone else. I don't know who's going to take that role, if it's going to be LaMelo mm-hmm. or who's the new leader. I don't know. Someone needs to just DM everyone, get everyone on a group chat and say, everyone, chill the bleep out and let's get to training camp without any more it bad reminds, news. It's, it's like Willie P at WFNZ saying to Terry as he's getting off of the podium after the season, he's saying, hey, you know, have a great off season. He said, yeah, thanks. Don't nobody get in no trouble. <laughs> Oops. And, you know, yeah. Yikes. That's not what happened. All right. Thanks for making us your first listen. Catch us anywhere you get your podcast. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 